We are in Romans chapter 6, talking about that question uh, that came from Romans chapter 5 about if grace abounds, where sin abounds, and grace abounds much more, then Paul's kind of been asking the question, if, if that is the process that we're looking at, wouldn't that make people just want to get saved, say the words, do the deal, and then live however they want to? So the question is asked, shall, shall we continue in sin? That comes from uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Now the interesting thing to this, and actually it's question number one for you guys who are here in person, this word continue in sin, in the Greek, it is present active tense. Now I don't, you don't have to know that, but what that tells us is that what Paul is talking about here is not an occasional or accidental sin. It is a habitual or a lifestyle of sin. Paul's saying, shall we keep sinning and sinning and sinning and live a life of sin? Obviously, the answer to that is no. And the reason why we want to spell out the verb tense here is because later on, Paul is going to talk about sinning on an occasional or accidental basis, and they're separated in this chapter. Paul said, certainly not. We do not believe that once you're saved that you ought to live a life of just continuing to live in sin so that grace can abound more. That's, what, that's exactly what he's saying. You don't want to do that. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 2, and he says exactly what I just said. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So Paul is not only saying that we shouldn't sin, but when we got saved, we actually, that process, we died to sin. We died to sin because Christ died for sin. And we died to that. We died to that lifestyle. And that we're not supposed to continue in sin so that grace can abound. Paul's saying that's unthinkable. Certainly not. You, you shouldn't even contemplate that, essentially, is what he's saying. How shall we who uh, have died to sin live any longer in it? So Paul's establishing this principle that when we're born again, our relationship with sin is permanently changed. That's important for us to understand. Our relationship to sin is permanently changed. That means we can sin, but we shouldn't and shouldn't want to sin. We have a different relationship with sin. We're going to talk about some other, how that relationship works in a little bit, but it's a totally changed dynamic. When I am a sinner who has not been saved yet, I live under the reign and power of sin when I'm a sinner. But when I'm a Christian, sin no longer reigns over me, and I am not bound to it. As a matter of fact, there's a death that happens to sin and the power of sin. Paul's saying it's not fit to live any longer in something that you've died to. You're not, he's saying, you're no longer a sinner, so don't act like one. That's good teaching right there, right? He's saying, 
hey, you changed. Of course, we know the Bible tells us we're new creatures we're in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's a part of that death to sin. We're not what we used to be. We're actually something else and something better. We're certainly not to continue to sin. That second verse says that we who died to sin before we were dead in our sins. You know, the Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins when we were sinners. We were dead. We didn't know we were dead. We were like, uh, I, had, I heard somebody describe it this way. We were dead men walking and we didn't even know it. They use a terminology on death row and they call them dead men walking because at some point they know that they're going to face whether lethal injection or whether it be electrocution or whatever it might be. So they're not really living. They're waiting to die, right? And they're dead men walking. But now we, and I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but we are no longer dead in sin. Now we are dead to sin. And that's a different story, right? I mean, it's not lording over us. We're dead to sin. We don't, we don't want to sin. We shouldn't want to sin. Matter of fact, grace should help us to want to live even more for the Lord. Because if you think about it, man, I didn't deserve grace. And because I didn't deserve it, I want to live for the Lord because he blessed me so much that now I'm not bound to sin. I'm not walking around a dead man like we talked about the, those death row uh, inmates. We were dead in sin, but now we are dead to sin. So question two talks about this. Our relationship to sin has permanently changed. How has it changed? We have died to it. Verses three and four, and I love this. I didn't plan this, but it's going to talk about baptism, and we're going to baptize. Uh, at this point, it's 18 people. I'm hoping even more on Sunday. So it's exciting, and it's uh, uh, we're going to talk about this. Paul is going to use the illustration of baptism to talk about how a believer dies to sin. So let's read verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, that's a principle, we're not baptized into water, we're baptized by water, but we're baptized into Christ. And it's important. One thing that we don't talk about is what we're, the Bible says that we're baptized into the body of Christ as well. That means when you are a part of a church and God's led you there and you become a member of it, you should really get baptized. Because you're getting baptized into Christ, but the body of Christ and the local body of Christ is the place where you are actively uh, involved in ministry. Many people don't understand baptism. You know, they look at it, why, why do we have to do that? Uh, why do we need to do that? Number one, we need to do that because it's obedience to what the Lord asks us to do. Uh, as many as us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. So we're baptized into Christ and we're baptized into his death. How many knows he actually died on the cross? Uh, and he died on the cross. His death. We're baptized into that death. And what did we die to? We died to sin. 
Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That describes the first part of baptism. So when someone comes to be baptized, number one, I talk to them, are you saved? Do you, uh, have you received the Lord? Have you asked God for forgiveness? Has, has your life changed? You know, all of this. And then they come to the water to be baptized, and you ask them to profess their faith. Now, some people were shy, and that profession happened before they got in the water. You know, that's okay. Some people want to testify, and that's great if they want to. And so they come to the water, and we are going to bury them in the water. This is very symbolic. We're going to bury them with Christ because Christ died. But how many knows he didn't stay in the grave? We were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so it's the power of the Father that raised him, God's power, even so we also should walk in newness of life. If you underline your Bible, that's a great passage to underline, especially the words newness of life. So when you come up out of sin and you've died to it, now you're risen into new life. You're not the same. You have new life. Uh, somebody who has life has vitality and energy and, you know, all of those things. They're sold out to whatever they're alive to. We're sold out to the Lord. As many of us were baptized, we were baptized into Christ Jesus. So the word baptized is the Greek word, which you don't need to know, baptismo, and that means to immerse. We know that. That's how Pentecostal Church of God baptizes people. We immerse fully. We don't sprinkle. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but we believe that in this actual Greek word, baptismo, which means to immerse fully, underwater. Uh, it also means to overwhelm with something. So if you were to drop this tissue box in the water, it would eventually, because it's just made out of cardboard and tissue paper, it's eventually going to soak up enough water and it's going to sink to the bottom and it's going to be overwhelmed by the water. We are overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and we are overwhelmed and we're changed. I've been buried and I'm rising again. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by something and that is by the Spirit of God. So when a person's baptized in water, they're immersed or covered over with water. And so there's different baptisms. I mean, know that you ever heard of different baptisms in the Bible? Do we talk about that in the adult Bible study class sometimes? Obviously, there's a baptism into Christ when we're saved and we get baptized in water. There's a baptism into that, baptism into the body. We're baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is talked about uh, in Acts chapter 2. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they were immersed or covered in uh, the Holy Spirit. So we were baptized with him into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead, then we are also raised from the dead. So, water is a dramatization of what we believe has happened to us at salvation. 
So it is a dramatization or acting out. That's what that word means. When we have a drama or a play at Christmas or at Easter, we're acting something out that we believe to be true, right? So water baptism is a dramatization of the believer's identification with Jesus. We are identifying with him in his death and in his resurrection. We don't want to leave just in his death, right? I don't want to just be identified with Christ only in his death. I want to be identified with him in his death and his resurrection. That's what makes me that new creature. That's what makes me alive in Christ. Uh, so I want to be identified with him in his death and resurrection. So that we can walk in the newness of life. So Paul is building on the idea that going under the water is a picture of being buried. It's, it's a good thing that baptism is about burial and resurrection because if it wasn't, then we would just put them under the water and just hold them there and leave them there. That wouldn't be very pleasant, would it? Now, I've been tempted to baptize some people and leave them under a little longer, but you know... <laughs> But I didn't do that, you know. So it is a picture of being buried. And then in the same tone, coming up out of the water then is the picture of rising from the dead. That's why, it might have been my wife, we were talking about how many people were getting baptized. And she said, you know, every time we have a baptism service, she said, it brings tears to my eyes. And it's because it's, it's someone who was dead. If you, I've never seen a person physically rise from the dead. I believe that they would, hope that they would, and pray that they would, but they didn't. But this is a spiritual picture of someone who was dead in their sins. No hope for eternal life with Christ Jesus. They were destined for hell, which was only really made for the devil and his angels. But now they've been saved and we have this wonderful picture, this dramatization of this person who used to be, that's the key word, dead in their sin, but now they're raised to life in Christ. And you ought to get excited about that, right? Yeah, man, praise the Lord, another one. We sang a song, we sang a song a few weeks ago, uh, and I don't know if you caught it because it's the first time we we sang it, but it said, hell lost another one. That's, what, that's part of the song. This is a picture of hell lost another one because they're no longer dead in their sins, bound for hell, but now they're risen with Christ and they have an eternity in heaven in the presence of the Lord uh, to look forward to. And so that's really, uh, it's exciting to me. Paul's point here is that there is a permanent change at salvation. You're not the same. You can't die and rise again without your life changing. You can't do that. You're going to be changed. You're going to be different. Verses 5 through 10. For if we have been united together, those two words are key. We're united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So there's a unity with Christ. 
in his death and his resurrection when we're saved. There's a unity with him. Uh, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. I'm no longer a slave of sin. Did you know that it's only the Christian that can say that? Because the sinner, no matter how much he does not want to sin, will keep living in sin and sinning over and over and over again. And he's bound by it and he's enslaved to it. He's locked up in it. He's in a cell. He cannot escape sin. That's where a sinner is at. But that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. I died to sin. I'm, I'm no longer bound to it. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Jesus isn't going to die anymore. Doesn't need to die anymore. Because there's no more penalty for sin. He's paid it all, right? He paid all the cost for sin. If I believe upon him and receive that salvation. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Let me be clear here. Jesus did not sin. He was sinless. But he died, what does it say? To sin. He died in our place to sin, so that we could die to sin. That's what it's saying here. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Later on, it's going to tell us the life that we live, we live to God. Brother, we've, heard, we've heard the term, he died a sinner's death. And that means he died like an ordinary sinner would, but it doesn't mean that he was guilty of that. Is that right? Exactly. He, he could die a sinner's death because he was taken by place. Took upon him, but not... That, that's a strange thought, but he took upon him our sins, but yet he had no guilty sin. Of it, right. Scripture tells us that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become his righteousness. We have to be very clear when we say that he died to sin, but it wasn't to his sin. It was he died so that we could be dead to sin. Well, he died to sin, not in sin. Too. Yes, yes, he died to sin and not in sin. So those first few couple of words, it says we're united together. It's talking about our relationship with Christ. We have a close union with him in his death and in his resurrection. Paul expressed a similar idea for his own life in Philippians chapter 3. We're not going to go there, but how many remember it talks about that certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, it tells us. Our participation in his death is guaranteed that we are going to participate in his resurrection. How many knows that Christ pays for it all, right? Our death and resurrection. Do we have somebody who can read that scripture for us? Yeah, Philippians 3, 10 and 11. Be a great walk unto his death, if I be any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So, yeah, I thought that was a scripture, but I was not positive because there's a couple scriptures where, well, one is where Paul talks about that when I want to live right, I don't, but when I, I, I try not to sin, but I sin. So that was not, this scripture is him saying, 
when we get saved and come to know Christ and the power of resurrection, we want that. We're not so thrilled about his suffering, but we do. We, we come in line with that as well. Who knows that you will suffer in this life at times. That there uh, is evil in this world and we'll suffer sometimes uh, from evil. Let's keep on a little bit further into that. those verses. Certainly we know that we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. So the old man or woman that you used to be is dead. As a matter of fact, we had the burial when he got baptized. It's a celebration, which is weird. We don't usually celebrate at a burial, but there's celebration at the burial because we're burying the old man and getting plain of the new man or new woman. It's just a reenactment. It's a dramatization of Yes. Yeah, it's a public profession of our faith is what baptism is. Uh, it doesn't change anything except that we're obedient to the Lord because he tells the reason us to do I say that because a lot of people think if they get yes, baptized, they, they get saved. And they, they do, and that's a misconception. That, that's not correct. Theology, the theology is that you must be saved prior to being baptized. Our denomination does not believe that if you fail to get baptized, that you will go to hell. However, we do believe that you should get baptized because, if possible, that it is the Lord commanded to do that. There are circumstances. I've helped baptize somebody who was in a wheelchair. And people who were in the hospital and they're on their deathbed, same circumstance as that man on the cross. He's about to die at the hands of the Romans, but he's about to die. That person on their deathbed in the hospital that receives Christ, confesses uh, him as Satan, they're, they're going to be saved. They don't have to go somewhere and get baptized because it's not really possible at that time. So, uh, anyway, that's what there are denominations that say you're not really saved if you don't get baptized. And that's, in my opinion, not theologically sound with several circumstances. So the old man has died. The old man is the man that was patterned after Adam. That's the old man. The part of us that is rebellious to God or was rebellious to God. Can I tell you that the law never reformed the old man? Never did. The law was good. It had a purpose. Jesus came to fulfill the law, but the law never actually reformed anyone. The law tries to get somebody to turn over a new leaf and to behave better, but it never really reforms anyone. They stay in their sin. It's just pushed forward. If you're Jewish, it's, it, it, it had been pushed forward a year because of that yearly sacrifice of atonement. So the old man dies with Christ on the cross and the old man, that crucifixion of the old man, and I like this, I've never seen a commentary that said it this way, 
But the crucifixion of the old man is something that God did and we did not do. We did not have the power to die in sin. If it was up to us, we'd still be enslaved to sin. So God freed us from that. He nailed the old man to the cross with Jesus. That's, that's part of the prayer. You know, if you're looking at this symbolism here, here we are to count it as being done. So New King James says, to reckon. I mean, that's an accounting term. Uh, Jim, when you do, do you do inventory? When you do inventory and something's off, you have to reconcile it. Why is it off? Why, why is this, what, you know, what, where did we miss? Is there an explanation? Uh, but here we are to reckon or to account that the old man has been crucified because Christ did it. It's an accounting term. I, I want to read a quote by Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I think it kind of solidifies what we talked about last week. How that as a Christian, we can sin, but we shouldn't want to, and it should be foreign to us to sin. So he says this, evil enters us now as an interloper, a stranger, and works havoc, but it does not abide upon our throne. It's an alien and despised, and not honored and not delighted in. We are dead to the reigning power of sin. I think that says that very well. To sin for a Christian ought to be like very foreign and strange to us. We, we should look at it as like, that's not even my character or nature anymore. To do that or to be like that. As Carol said last week, the Holy Spirit should convict you, and it will if you listen. <laughs> when that happens, you'll know it instantly. It, it, it should be foreign to, to us. It's been done away with. The old man's dead. We are made alive in Christ. How do you explain that we do then sometimes sin? How do we explain that? There are three factors in the way that a Christian, or that persuade us, I shouldn't say persuade, that might affect us that we would sin. Okay? And I'm going to hit them very quickly. Number one is the old man that we talked about. I used to be like this. And I'm going to say this. If you were a sinner for a long time before you got saved, you developed some habits and some traits and some things that did, that did not and do not line up with the way God wants you to live. But the longer we do habits, they can become ingrained in our life. Do you agree with me? So while the old man is dead, he still had a whole long time to influence our character and nature, even though we've been saved. Now I say this, how I many knows that somebody has gotten saved before, but when they first got saved, you, you recognize that their speech hasn't changed. They don't quite yet talk like a Christian. What do I mean by that? They might say something that the world would say, and they don't even recognize that that's not really true, or they may curse. Because that's been a part of the old man. 
those roads have been dug out and rutted out, and so it takes a while. Is that all right? It takes a while for somebody who's been in sin a long time. I'm not saying it has to, but it can sometimes. The old man and that nature that we used to be, we have to develop new paths, and the Holy Spirit leads us and teaches us that. So the old man gets crucified, but he still has a little influence because of the time frame that we have been in sin. The second thing that may influence us to sin is the world system. What does that mean? Let me know that the world system is evil because the world system is controlled by the evil one. We are in the world, the Bible says, but not of the world. So that process of being in the world sometimes, that world system may influence us and lead us astray at times, but it doesn't mean that we're gonna go, we shouldn't and, and I, I believe if you're saved, you're not gonna go fully into that world system and be, you're gonna recognize that, hey, I'm a pilgrim, I'm passing through, this is, world is not my home, I can't live like that any longer, I can't be a part of that world system, I'm not a part of that world economy, I am in the economy and the world system of Savior. So the world system could influence us. And then we all know about the last one, the devil. You know the devil tries to tempt you to sin? Whisper things. Sometimes, you know, that old picture of a devil on this side, angel. that's not true, but the devil does whisper in our ears sometimes and says, you do this, nobody's gonna know, it'll be all right, it ain't that bad. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things. What did you tell Eve? Oh, you won't surely, surely you won't die. Well, she did. She died. Eventually, she died because of sin. So the, the devil is constantly and continually tempting us to sin. That does not mean that we have to or will give in every time. That just means that those are influences that can lead us into sin but we're not that old man, and we're not a part of this world system, and truly, the devil doesn't have any authority. So, that's important for us to know. So, the old man is dead, so what do we do with the flesh? Crucified, exactly right. That's found in Galatians 5, 24. We are to crucify it, which means to make it dead. We're to, be, to make it dead to sin. If you want to be dead to sin, don't go places that are going to tempt you to sin. Truth. If you used to be an alcoholic and consumed with that, don't go to the bar to buy yourself some food and sit down there. That's foolish. Crucify that. Die to it. Don't do that. Same way if you've had a life of being consumed by lust. Don't go places that you're going to be have that opportunity to look at that or see that or become a part of that. So uh, we have to crucify it and kill it. If the old man and the habits of it and the past and the world and the devil, if we allow it to, it can exert a power over our minds. But if we let the new man influence our minds, then we'll find that the battle is less intense. How to do you get the mind of Christ? 
how do you battle the flesh, the world, and the devil in your mind? What are the tools that you use? Put the word in, absolutely. You put the word of uh, God in your life through prayer. You do that as well. Because then the Holy Spirit's speaking to you when you're praying. And so we're in the word, we're praying. And, and honestly, you know, I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor and I wanted people to show up for church, but we're told to show up for church because it's important and that's where we get edified and lifted up and hear a word from the Lord that might we might not we, that we need to hear corporately. Uh, so those are important ways and you know Romans 12 1 and 2 tells us don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing like what Carol said of your mind that you might prove a good acceptable and perfect will of God. God's got a perfect will for your life and you'll find it in this word. You'll find it there for you. So it goes on, it says that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. We're set free from sin because the old man has died with Christ on the cross. We're now a new man, a free man who lives. We've been raised from the dead. Death no longer has dominion. It says over him, talking about Christ, so guess what? If we're unified with him, death doesn't have dominion over us. Jesus said, if you believe upon me, he who dies will not die. And that seems to be a contradiction, but it's not. Because death does not have dominion over the child of God. Well, there'll be a time when you'll breathe your last breath, but death was not responsible. It was simply your time. God called you home. Death had no dominion, no power over you. I remember, I, uh, oh, I, I said this in our Bible study Tuesday morning, about 6 a.m. And uh, I said, one of them asked questions about how do you, you know, how, what do you think about, when, you know, dying? And we were talking about dying. And, and I said, I, I think that we have some say in how and when we die. They looked at me like I was crazy. I don't mean I'm going to pick the hour and I don't mean I'm going to pick the day. But what I do believe is that sin no longer has and death no longer have dominion over me. So your pastor before me, Brother McKinley, long years ago, you know what he, he said when he was on his deathbed? He said, when it's my time to go, I'm going to pull my knees up underneath of me and I'm going to go in peace. That's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he did, too. He and Sister McKinley were quoting a psalm together. He was so tired and exhausted in his body, she told me this, that she pretty much did it on her own. And then she sat down and she fell asleep and she woke up and he was gone. And went in his own terms in the way he, he did not, he was not subject to the dominion of death because he said, this is the way I want to go. And he, he was able to go that way. Now, I don't know that we all do that, but I think we have a say, I can say that, <laughs> uh, and in that death has no dominion over us. Israel, who is going to die, can cause children and blesses them. 
switching hands and all this kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think we can know, and I think there could be a peace in death. Right there for her that she Oh, I, I know she did. She did. Because when I was there, she said, God's all over this earth. I didn't know what she meant by that. Because whenever I prayed for her, can, can I tell you, your spirit, man, does not die. Your body does. Your spirit never dies when you are saved, when you're connected with the Lord. And so when I prayed with her, she was she had like not responding not anything and i prayed with her and i started speaking in tongues and i'm praying with her and she's joined me speaking in tongues and praying and then she came out of that and she said god's all over this place i thought that mean god had touched her and she was going to revive what it meant was god's all over this place he's getting ready to take me home is what i believe now I'm thankful to know that death has no dominion over us. Having been raised from the dead, Christ dies no more. Death has no longer has dominion over him. The life that he lives, he lives to God. The new life that we're granted, we're granted new life when we're saved for a reason. Can I tell you that? We're granted new life for a reason. If God was just about saving you and nothing else, then when you got saved, he might knock you in the head and take you on to heaven. But he saved you that you would, what does the scripture say, that you would live to God. So that you, you have a purpose. And your purpose is to live to please God. That answers one of those questions. Question eight. We're granted a new life so that we can live to please God. Romans 6, 11, and 12, and we'll stop there. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead. There's that term again, that accounting term. You reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God. So there are two parallel things going on here. You're dead, but you're alive. You're dead to sin, but alive to God. Uh, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. We have to account ourselves as uh, being dead to sin, but alive uh, to God. Death to sin is only one side of the equation. If you just stop sinning, that's not God's will. But you, he wants you to stop sinning and live for him. And so there, there's two sides to that. Uh, don't let sin continue to reign in your mortal body. You have been made free from sin in and because of Christ. Can I tell you that some Christians never experience the freedom that I'm talking about? Some Christians constantly worry about their salvation. Some Christians continue to try to rely on themselves instead of God and His grace. Some just simply don't believe it's possible for God to give us this death to sin and this life to him. They're still trying to do it on their own. Uh, when we are baptized in the spirit and there's some things that 
the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit teaches us. I believe the Holy Spirit teaches us to live for God. Right? He teaches us all things. He teaches us to live for God. Not to just learn how to quit sinning. You do need to learn that. But you need to learn how to live for God as well. I'm going to quickly go through these questions. So question one, what type of sin is Paul describing in verse one? Habitual or lifestyle sin. Lifestyle of sin. Question two, when we're born again, what happens to our relationship to sin? It dies or it's permanently changed. It dies. Question three, what does baptized mean? Immersed or overwhelmed in something. Question four, what is baptism a dramatization of? Death, burial, and resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. That's correct. Question five, go and fill in the blank. Going under the water is a picture of being buried. And coming up from the water is a picture of rising from the dead. In place of the blank man, old man, the old man, God gives the believer a new man. new man. Question seven, according to Galatians 5.24, what are we supposed to do with the flesh? Crucify. Crucify. Make it dead. Question eight, why are we granted new life? To live to please God. Question nine, fill in the blank. I didn't hit this perfectly, but the Christian should count themselves blank to blank. Dead to sin. Dead to sin, but blank to blank. Alive to God. Alive to God, according to verse 11. All right.